0: Hey everybody, the con artist here. We're back for a really fun podcast this time around. It's not one of our usual like biweekly thingamajiggies. It's it's this time we're going to talk about Studio Ghibli and Miyazaki and uh, what was it? Last month was actually Miyazaki's birthday. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. Seventy sixth, uh, I think. Yeah. Seventy six. We really wanted to do this for the seventy fifth birthday, but we didn't get around to it. So we're we're here now to do it instead. Or if you're coming to us from the far
1: future, pretend we did it last year.
0: Yeah, just just go with the go with it. So uh, we're gonna be talking about just some of our favorite Ghibli Miyazaki moments, and that's it. It's Really, just just, just a blast. So uh, I want to start everything off with the fact that I absolutely love um, all the sassy old people in Miyazaki <laughs> films. Like I've been rewatching them quite a bit. Uh, I've been buying them on Blu-ray because my fiance wanted to see them, and so every time I'll order something from Amazon, I'm like, oh man, Spirited Away is twelve ninety-nine. Yes. So I'll just toss it in there with the uh, with the order, and we've amassed quite a few, so we're watching them, and just- oh, Spirited Away, great choice, sassy... like the old witch
1: lady who's in charge of the inn, you mean? Oh, you Baba? Yeah.
0: Yeah, she's pretty sassy, but like, exactly, like, things like that, just so many sassy old people, like, what was I, I was, you know, I was watching Howl's Moving Castle, and Sophie's just um... like, meets, meets the Scarecrow, and is like, your head's a turnip. I never <laughs> liked turnips. Well, goodbye, and just like meanders off back up the hill, or in Castle in the Sky, they go underground, and they're like, "There's some guy who lives in a cave all the time because of course there is." Yeah, and they're like, "Oh, cave guy!" Like we're being chased by the military and by Dola and the pirates, and he's like, "Well, doesn't that sound nice? How exciting!" (laughs) And I'm like, "Man, when I'm old, like this is what I want to do. Like have my kids come to me and be like." Grandma, grandma, things are going bad. And be like, that's lovely. <laughs> Sounds well, I've like exciting have already seen everything. Adventures from your youth. Or, like, again, in Castle in the Sky, this was like a laugh out loud moment. Like, uh, what's Sheeta is trapped on this castle that's burning, and the robot is holding her up, and they have to go rescue her. And they're like, Dola, we need to sweep down and, and rescue Sheeta. And she's like, okay. Boys, get ready! All for one, and one for mom. And I'm like, what is even happening in this sequence? They all just like zip <laughs> down to to save her. But old people—they're just sassy and great. And I'm not, you know, obviously naming everything, but I love sassy old people in in Miyazaki films. I mean, it helps that Miyazaki a sassy old guy himself. so I'm sure that's where it comes from. But mm-hmm. loving those sassy old people.
1: Yeah, just sort of like unfazed by things that are happening.
0: Yeah, and they're always, like, wise, and they're always... I mean, it's obviously very respect your elders type of thing, but I, I really like them. They're they are basically all, like, the Disney Mulan grandma. <laughs> and how can you go wrong with that character type? <laughs> oh, yeah. Huh. And also,
1: like, actually, you mentioned uh, Dola. A number of his movies also seem to feature sort of, like, like counter-government or like sort of pirate-type characters who are good guys, Yeah, which always seemed interesting. Whether it's like Porco Rosso, like, sure, there's a bunch of pirates that attack commercial air travel, but they're kind of like, I don't want to say chivalrous exactly, but like... They're
0: like Robin Hood-y. Sort yeah, they're of like kind of
1: like... polite about it. All right, everyone, we're going to be taking over the ship now. If you'd all move away so that there's like no one's in danger, we're going to take all your valuables. Uh, thank you, we'll have a nice trip. Like, all the kids are waving to them, like, they're sort of local heroes, and, like, that seems to be throughout quite a few of them, which is kind of an interesting thing.
0: Yeah, I don't think I actually noticed that while we were watching, but maybe I wasn't watching quite the right ones. I'm not a huge fan of Porcaroso, so I didn't watch that one again, but, yeah, Castle in the Sky has it, and, I mean, what else has it, though, now that I'm trying to remember? I mean, Castle of
1: Cagliostro is kind of cheating because it's Lupin, but right? Like, Lupin,
2: but um, you know, sort of the like you said, not chivalrous, but the the good natured rogue does pop up as an archetype in his films on and off. Um, you've got uh, you've obviously got the Sky Pirates from uh, from Lapida. You've got um, the ones from Porcaroso, Who ah, darn! I'm I know there's another one. I also I feel
1: like I'm missing another one, and like it's killing me that I can't remember it right now. Hmm. Uh, I
2: mean, ah, well, we'll come if we though. remember, we'll come back to it.
0: Yeah, circle back around. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely.
2: The thing that I would like to point out, and I know other people in the past have pointed this out and done long uh, essays about it, but one of the things in the Miyazaki films that I always enjoyed is the fact that he always gives his female protagonists a fair shake, regardless of mm. whether they are the main characters, which it seems more often than not they are. Um, or if they're supporting or, like, part of an ensemble cast, whatever it might be, they're always full characters in and of themselves. They're, they go through, they go through their own arcs, they have their own conflicts, uh, and their strengths are widely varied. You've got people like Nausicaa, she's, you know, she's an adventurer, she's a, you know, she's a nurturer, but she's also a fighter. You've got, uh, you've got Sen from, um... Mononoke. Mononoke, yeah. Sorry, um, and she's you know she's you know extremely savage, but also has a uh, you know she has you know she has a, a heart on her in her, and she's ah, I just there's a there's such a variety to the characters, which if you look at them from the outside, you might initially think they're very similar because you know they're they're often drawn very similarly, they're often staged in very similar ways, and while they do share a lot of qualities. There's a big there's a bit of a variety about them, you know. Some of them are, you know, young and optimistic. You've got like Kiki's delivery service and all that, and then you've got, you know, again, you've got Sen on the other end of that, who's, you know, pretty much a barbarian.
1: Right. Or like or then there's someone like uh what, Sophie from Howl's of Castle. I'm a hat maker. Like
2: that's my thing. She's by far the most ordinary.
0: Yeah, I think mm. that's that's a big part of the plot. But that feeds really nicely, Dan, into just the fact that um Miyazaki really seems to understand this sense of, like, masculinity and femininity without it really being gender-locked is where I'll go with it. Like, Mm. having recently watched Mononoke again, like, Sen is very, you know, she's barbaric and she's violent and she's raised by wolves, literally, and... Uh, You've got Ashitaka on the other end, who is, he is a fighter, absolutely, but he's significantly softer as a character when you watch him in the beginning, like he negotiates. And I mean, he comes to Irontown and he, his whole thing is like, I'm here to view what you're doing with eyes unclouded by hate he's there to watch he's there to be in the background to a certain extent I mean yes he shoots guys heads off with his stone tip arrows but the point is he's there to have a much softer role as opposed to Sen who has a very like violent what you'd probably call masculine type of role but I never watched the film and I was like oh well look at this like he's He's just treating Sen like a man because, you know, he thinks manly women are strong because I also think Sophie is very strong. When mm-hmm. I watch her in Hal's Moving Castle, there's an enormous strength to the compassion she has, which is feminine. like, and Sen has a certain level of compassion where I can see the femininity come out of her too. He writes beautiful female characters. I mean, it's great that all of his characters are um so strong in their own way but his female characters he really pours a lot of effort and love into and even the ones that aren't his leads like with mononoke i'll talk a little bit about Eboshi later in another point i have but lady Eboshi, who runs iron town mm, right. like there's a you know there's an enormous strength to her half of which comes from the fact that she could kick your ass and the other half of which comes from this enormous compassion she bears for uh, other women, or the people of Irontown. Mm-hmm. So really incredible dynamic in the way he writes these characters, especially those female characters.
2: Yeah, and with, in the case of Lady Eboshi, I mean, we'll get into her again, but it just, because they're well-rounded, she's not simply villainous. She's not simply, like, a good person either she is she has villainous ruthless tendencies but she's also extremely focused on the people that she cares about but like you said we'll get into that in detail later
1: yeah so like the, yeah the characters are very strong i think one of the things i like is every character feels more like a person than you know archetype or a cliche or whatever like you never go into these movies and you're like, oh yeah, you know, play the anime spot the trope game, there's the Sundary, and there's the childhood friend or whatever. Like that never happens in a Miyazaki movie. They all feel like a person he's thought up that's gonna be in the film uh, that has their own motivations and stuff, and they're always different. So that's very impressive.
0: Yeah, the the fact that he really draws from from people is incredible and it, it showcases in his art too. Um one of the the points I wanted to bring up, one of my favorite points, is we were watching Totoro, my fiancé oh, and Totoro. I. Totoro. And, and, you know, you watch May run around versus, um, oh my gosh, what's, it, what's her sister's name? Uh, it'll come to me. Anyway, uh, May is running around, and um, I, I watched her, and we were genuinely kind of staring at her she moves and acts just like a real, like, four- or five-year-old. Her legs are wobbly. She, like, falls a lot of times. Like, when she's chasing the one Totoro and she finds Big Totoro and she's sitting on his tummy, she, like, tries to walk but can't, so she scooches her butt instead (laughs) and crawls a little bit and is, like, mimicking his sounds and, like... Everything she does, she's like a real four-year-old. Instead of watching it and going, I hate anime kids because they're so annoying, she feels like a real four-year-old. Like, she's adorable because she's so real. It's amazing the way he, like, really looks at people and animates them properly, you know? Like they're real people. Like, men are animated differently than women. And just all these little things he does to make them feel so human for their right ages and the right genders. and It's just incredible. I could go on all day yeah, like, about it. But his animation... Like Sasaki, right? Satsuki, right? I think Thank you. Oh my gosh. I right, like when she words.
1: runs, it's like a whole different story.
0: It's like, a whole different... Her whole different. body is into it. Whereas when May runs, it's like this really awkward, I don't fully know how all my appendages work run, hmm. because she's that age. And it's so beautiful to watch the two of them contrasting, because he really got the difference. So I absolutely adore the fact that he really stares at real people and draws and appreciates real people.
1: Yeah, and also in in some of the I guess the more I guess I'll say quote unquote like realistic or like set on regular Earth instead of a fantasy universe, like the people sort of uh, how do I put it? Like they've got more realistic problems. Like Ponyo, right? The mother from Ponyo, who's eh, like not a huge character in the in the movie, but like she has to live far apart from her husband and that's obviously difficult for her and for her family as a result. And it's like, it's those little things that they don't like spend a lot of time on it. It Isn't like she has a whole monologue about how difficult it is being away from her husband, but it's obviously there in the background and they do a very good job of that.
0: Agreed, agreed. Brendan, you're quiet over there. Pick a favorite part.
1: I love like just sitting in in, uh, a long movie like like Spirited Away that uh, like, often just takes time to have you like be in like where the characters are and like watching them like chill out or do stuff and not that she chills out very often in that movie exactly uh but there's like there's downtime that you sort of get into and you see stuff that's not always or uh, or always apparently related to whatever the main plot of the story is if there is even a like single continuous plot. What was her name from Spirited Away? The main character? Uh, Chihiro. Chihiro. Okay. Yeah. So like when when she's uh, like the part where she's what learning how to like they just like fold up laundry or something or like clean a bath or something like oh yeah I'm kind of you see what her life is like I guess even though it doesn't have a direct bearing on the plot events that sort of thing. Right. Or you're sort of getting into her headspace as far as like this is her new environment.
0: And right.
1: My my parents got turned into pigs by magic and I'm stuck now i guess i better adapt yeah start cleaning stuff well that's yeah. a big
0: part of her character arc too and where the it film is, is trying is. to take her so
1: that's true it's actually
0: funny you should mention that brendan because a friend of mine recently rewatched uh whisper of the heart and he's like absolutely nothing happens in this film but i <laughs> loved watching it i love just sitting and being a part of this effectively nothing that was going on and and i was like yeah i think miyazaki is just the master of letting you have those little moments and making them beautiful like i don't have a better word for it other than peaceful tranquil maybe i'll i'll take but like oh yeah people are putting up laundry oh yeah people are at the shrine oh yeah kids are biking outside like he enjoys putting you in this world that just makes you feel comfortable and relaxed and that's quite a skill
1: Yeah, I don't think any movie actually does that better for my money than Kiki's Delivery Service, which is sort of a prime example of a movie that doesn't have, like, a villain or almost really any conflict at all. It's just sort of like, hey, there's this witch who needs to go out and learn to do witch things in the big city, like, you know, away from her her family. And it just sort of, all right, today we're going to clean the house and then I'm going to learn how to do deliveries. I'm going to talk to people from town. And, like, the whole movie is basically just kiki goes about her life but it's interesting like you definitely want to know what's going to happen next like you're rooting for her even though there's no like she's not doing anything of dramatic importance you're still really invested in her
0: yeah most definitely i um i actually want to jump into some of the attention to detail just that goes into these ghibli films i mean they all look stunning no matter which one you're watching uh And just some of the little things that really caught my eye uh, having rewatched Mononoke recently. Every time Ashitaka runs out into battle, he has to string his bow. He actually has to string it over the top so that it's prepped to shoot. And I'm like, that's an incredible detail that he doesn't forget. It's like he he does it at least twice in the film. And he he takes the time to have the camera sit there and make sure he shows you. Like, Ashitaka's running and has to like stop for a split second, string the bow, and then be able to shoot. And I was like, that's an amazing little detail that, I mean, first of all, keeps you in the time period that he's setting the film in. But just that tiny thing, like, it adds so much to the film and to the character and things like that. And um, another one I had was in Spirited Away, the sequence where Chihiro meets the river spirit she doesn't know it's a river spirit it's this giant hulking pile of nasty that comes yeah, to the like the, the, the bathhouse sort of the, uh, yeah yes. and everyone's like oh geez don't deal with it and it goes into the bath and Shahiro finds like what ends up being a bike handle and she pulls on it and everyone pulls on it and all this garbage basically comes out because people are throwing stuff in the river is kind of the the metaphor there or the What's going on with that? And, like, there's a shot, and guys, it's got to be, like, a fraction of a second shot on all the garbage that comes out of the river, and it is beautifully animated.
2: It's all fully detailed.
0: It's fully detailed and fully shaded. They're all real things. It's not like he drew a bunch of, like, blocks and circles and cut away quick. It was like, no, 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 no. This... This is legit, like, this is legit stuff you might find in a river, first of all, and it's all beautifully animated for something that is a throwaway shot. It blew my mind that I actually Mm. paused it and looked at all of it, and amazing, absolutely amazing. And just the third thing I want to get at is his, uh, Miyazaki, I should say, his love of just mechanics and mechanisms. Like, all the little things that work. Like, Spirited Away is one of the huge ones. I mean, it's just the way the bathhouse works. Like, he took the time to think out how a fantasy bathhouse would work <laughs> for the spirits. Like, it's a fantasy movie. You could get away with complete nonsense. Like, gobbledygook floats the thing and magic water heat. No. No. There's a guy who looks like Robotnik, like, pumping these mechanisms and pe- these little critters have to throw stones into the fire to heat the water. People put bath tokens up and through him that he pulls to know which water to push, to push. Like, there's a whole mechanism there. Or, like, Mononoke with Irontown and how to smelt the iron. Like, and every single time you see an airplane, like, he thinks about he all does of this stuff. He
1: love those airplanes. Whether it's the little... The sort of fantasy ones from uh, Castle in the Sky that have like sort of bug wings and sort of hover. And, but you know, like when they start failing, like the, they're trying to like kickstart it to get it working again. So you see how those work. Or Porco Rosso, which of course is a more realistic take on how like a semi realistic airplane would work. And there's all of this mechanical detail in there. Uh, or the and of course, larger airships you know, from. Yeah, larger airship. The Wind Rises, of course, comes to mind since it's also full of like real realistic real world airplanes. Mm-hmm.
0: Or all the dirigibles from Nausicaa. Yeah,
1: that's true. There's yeah, there's a, yeah. always a wealth of mechanical detail, even though his movies, you know, if you think, what's in a Miyazaki? Like, what's the sort of common theme? It's often, oh, nature and, and sort of a soft focus on the environment. It's like, well, yeah, but also, like, Castle in the Sky has flying battleships and trains and all this other stuff. Like, he's really got both sides of the, you know, whatever, nature-machine divide, like, covered. He can do it all.
2: Right. And it's... It's a lot of it comes down to the way it's all framed because you see in everything from Kiki's delivery service to Castle in the Sky to Pocoroso, he's not a. I don't think he's against technology in and of itself. He he loves technology. He loves flight especially, but he also has this. He has this scorn for the way in which it's used. Because you know you see like Nausicaa on her glider and everything, and nobody like there's nothing there's nothing about the glider that is that is evil. There's nothing about it that's wicked. But then you see the airships that come in from the uh, from the evil empire uh, in air quotes Oh, yeah, Tomekia. An, and, yeah, Tomekia, yes. and they are these they are these massive like incredibly like, like
1: bloated looking bloated
2: looking things like they're still rounded and they have this almost organic look to them but it's very obvious that like these things are bad news
0: yeah just the way they're shaded and, mm-hmm. and like the fact that they everything in their wake is burning
2: yeah or in um in uh, How's moving castle you see in two in two separate scenes one you see these battleships, these amazing, like early 20th century style dreadnoughts, gleaming white and gold and steel. They they are like, you know, just festooned with guns. They look beautiful, but then later on you see them coming back and they are absolutely devastated. Like all of that beauty is gone and it's now just devastation. So like again, this this love of technology, this love of mechanics uh combined with a very strong like love of nature is definitely one of the hallmarks of his films
0: yeah it's high on my list so minus all the mechanics i think of a miyazaki film i just want to toss out a couple of, of my favorite parts and having watched some of the films again things that stuck with me um there's a sequence in Porcaroso. Rosso. Now, I don't remember this film well, and I haven't watched it again. I only saw it once. But there's a sequence that I remember blowing my mind when I watched it, because weirdly enough, it was one of my earlier Miyazaki films. Uh, a bunch of guys are flying their planes around, and they all land, and they're like, oh, man, we better get our planes checked out. And so they're, like, pushing the planes to the hangars, and they're like, yeah, we're going to have to, you know, clean up the planes and look at them. So they push them to the hangars, and all their wives come out. And I'm like, okay, well, this is a sequence where they're like, they have little romantic things and their wives give them lunches. And the wives go, okay, we'll take it from here. And they go, all right, thanks. <laughs> and turn around and just all the men walk away. All the women come pouring out of the hangar, take this airplane and lift it up and start engineering the bejesus out of this. They're like, yeah, pass me that thing. Uh-huh. We're going to have to tighten these. Oh my gosh. What are these guys doing? The pitch on this is terrible. And I'm like... At- it's just like this army of women that come out and start aeronautical engineering this thing, and I, I loved it. It's an amazing sequence because it totally, like, sideswipes you. It's one of those things that you were expecting something, whether you're, you know, into gender equality or not. You were expecting the women to give them lunches and say hello, and you were, you were not ready for that to happen. He does it so seamlessly, and I, I loved it. It was just amazing
1: that brings to mind the, uh, like castle in the sky early in the film, the, whatever the, 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 B team, like villains, like the, the, the lady and the two dudes in the car show up to, to minor town to whatever they're looking for, for the kids. And like the minor dudes are like, you know, not on our watch. And these, these two like guys get into this sort of fist fight. Uh, and like when, before they start fighting though, like, you know, they're like, Oh, we're tearing off our shirts. The guy flexes his muscles and his shirt rips and his wife is by him. She's like, I'm not putting the buttons back on that,
2: <laughs>
1: and like everyone behind her starts laughing. I was, yeah, I always they get into scene. like that
0: flex, yeah, that flexing. Match. They get
1: into the flex competition. She's like, "Oh yeah, good work, men," but like, I'm not fixing that nonsense. Like, you rip that shirt, you fix it. I always laugh pretty hard at that. Although, man, when those guys when those guys hit each other, though, like. When no, it's he, the he does, real deal. When he does fist fights, like, they are extreme. Like, they're not, you know, like, brutal, sort of gory things. But, like, when those dudes hit each other, whether it's this or the fist fight at the end of uh, Porco Rosso, like, you really feel those impacts.
2: Hmm.
1: So he's also got kind of a thing for that, like, the whatever, body in motion or, like, the real. Right. The impact of a punch is shown very well visually.
2: Mm-hmm. Princess Mononoke had a lot of that. Any time that there was a fight, when somebody got hit, whether it was you know punched or uh, stabbed or shot with an arrow or anything, it's like there is there is there's resistance to everything, and that's part of just his you know skill at you know directing animation for human form. Just like he he treats the human body not as like this, it's not a block of wood. It actually gives in certain places and whatnot.
1: Yeah, well, it definitely deforms when those when those fists come back. Like you know, there's usually like a big sort of divot or bruise on the on the skin. Right. So you can get a sense of wow, that guy really got hit. You're right. They don't they don't they don't plastically reform into like the perfect anime soft face. Hmm.
0: Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm convinced Mononoke should be rated R, having watched it again. I was like, I just get a PG-13 rating. What is wrong with you people? Um. Yeah, there's definitely a there's a lot of weight to what he does. He understands not just people but the skeleton under the people too so that's a nice a nice thing um there's a sequence in mononoke where ashitaka gets rescued and is sitting with i don't remember her name but the wolf goddess who took in san and like ashitaka is explaining to her she's like you know if you go to war with the humans san's gonna die too and and she looks at him and goes yes my beautiful ugly daughter is going to die. And I remember this sequence because first of all there's a dramatic pause in there. Like my beautiful ugly daughter and like her her voice actually like, changes for saying that. And I remember thinking it was extraordinary because this one line of dialogue effectively encompassed like the entire movie for me. Like this ugly yet beautiful nature, like, in the same way you think he always thinks nature is beautiful, that's the one film where he really shows you that it's kind of ugly. Like, there's there's just a savageness to it, there's a brutality to it, there's, like, an ugliness to it, and a harshness to it, and... You know, yet there's a you know there's still a beauty to it. Like at the end, when the forest spirit like makes everything green again, you're like, oh my god, everything's so gorgeous. And in the same way that he has that like the ugliness of people with Iboshi, and this is where I wanted to get back to it. Like Iboshi is an incredibly ugly character until you start paying attention, and you're like, no, she's also an incredibly beautiful character because there's so much compassion deep down there, and you can't hate it yet you can't. Love it either, and it was amazing that he could come up with one single line of dialogue that made me understand like the whole film. Like I could use that line for the entire film, and that was incredible.
1: Hmm, it's a really good point. It's a good yeah. thing you rewatched these recently. I certainly can't recall the exact line.
0: Yeah, no, that helped a lot. <laughs> Having done this recently helped helped quite a bit. Um. Yeah, no, that was that was incredible. Uh, the other one I think I had from that film was there's a scene where Lord Ato- or Okoto, sorry, the boar god who's blind, he's dying like he's bleeding from freaking every orifice you can think of. And... Oh, I remember that
1: being pretty gruesome looking. Oh yeah. gosh,
0: oh gosh, like he's bleeding from everywhere and he's walking towards the the pool in the center of the forest where the forest spirit is, and he's like, I gotta find the forest spirit, and then oh my gosh, like all of these hunters pop up from behind him. And I don't know if they're in like skins they made themselves or if by anime magic, they skinned his boar warriors who are dead and are now in their skins. But they're these like eyeless skin sacks that these guys are popping out of and moving around him. And he's like, he sniffs because he's blind. And he's like, my warriors are back. They're with me. We can win now. And it was so disturbing. Like genuinely disturbing for me. I was like, "This is this is not a children's film. Why isn't this film rated R? Dang it!" <laughs> like it was so disturbing because they're just all moving with him, and they're these eyeless sacks, and they're like running, and the way they're running is so unnatural. And this poor Borgod who can't see anything is so lost and bleeding to death, and convinced that like his people are with him, and it's just this enormous tragedy, the likes of with like. I didn't even really need any dialogue for like the tragedy played out right on screen. And I was like, oh, wow, that's uh it really stuck with me. Like it was an intense sequence and really, really hard.
1: Yeah, I guess it uh, was speaking of hard moments in, in Miyazaki films uh, like Totoro of all movies. Uh, like the scene where what is it like um, they're looking for for May, who's gone missing. Uh, and I forget what it is. Like Satsuki runs back home, and they haven't been able to find her, and she sort of she breaks into tears. And it's just it's a very emotional scene, like extremely well done. And I go, she can remember more of the details about it, but that's one that stuck with me as being well, the like sort of hard to watch,
0: brutal too. Is like they end up finding that sandal in the oh, yeah the water, and you're like, this isn't really going to happen, is it? Like this whole movie has been just soft, cuddly cupcakes. You aren't you aren't going to do that to me, are you? But like the other thing is, I think that was important in that scene is the camera never shows you, the viewer, where May is either. So you're you're, as you're lost only as they following are. it right. You're only following it from Satsuki's point of view, and you're like, where is this little girl? Where?
1: Right, as she like desperately runs around town at top speed for you know the better part of the day, like as as the sun's going down, basically.
0: Yeah, Whew, that's rough. Um, the only other one I wanted to mention is from Nausicaa. I always have a hard time picking my favorite scene from Nausicaa because my favorite scene is the entire film. Uh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it, it is my favorite one.
0: It is my favorite one too.
2: Same here. I actually picked up the uh the ma- the manga, like the large format version, and it is gorgeous. the The thing is, is that the events of Nausicaa are basically books one and maybe a half. So of how
1: many how many books total? Uh, I
2: think there's seven volumes. Oh, wow, and like it goes into so much more, so much more politics, so much more um cultural stuff there's a lot of fascinating stuff uh the character uh what was her what was her name
1: uh oh, oh sushana
2: the uh the antagonist um
1: oh wow her i don't i definitely remember her name uh why am the I the one f- with the sort of the missing arm Yeah, like, yeah yeah, the yeah arm, the the,
0: the golden, she's in the golden armor the golden yeah. armor
2: like yeah. she gets so much more she gets so much more depth than she becomes. If not like a sympathetic character, again, much like Lady Eboshi, very, uh, you know, very well rounded and and fascinating to watch. But um, yeah, the entire movie and the and you know the manga by extension are just full of gorgeous scenes, beautiful tableaus of just watching the world that this all takes place in.
0: Yeah, I just oh, I love every minute of that film. Um, but there's a sequence where, so Nausicaa is captured by Tolmikia and uh, the people of Tolmikia and, or not Tolmikia actually, I'm sorry. What is the name of the other country that the... Pegidae. Thank I you. Pejidae. And then she, um, one of them swaps outfits with her so that they can get her off the plane. And uh, so they, they push her off the plane and like she catches, she's in the glider and she gets pushed off the plane and... It's like this beautiful culmination of action, music, and camera movements. And it's so short, but it's like the perfect flight chase sequence. Like she falls out of the, the, the ship, she's got the glider, and she's like spinning around the 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 ship that captured her, and Joe Hisashi just like nails it with this little, little segment of music where I can close my eyes and I'm like, this is the best chase sequence ever. And the camera's like zipping with her in the glider. It's so perfect and so good. And uh, it's just one of my favorite things. And I'd it just like, encompasses all of Miyazaki. I had to go find it because it's actually background music. It's not even on the OST.
2: Oh, come I had to on. go find
0: it on freaking <laughs> YouTube. I was like, where is this thing? So I played all the background music from Nausicaa. And I was like, this is it. This is that tiny sequence. It only lasts maybe like a minute and a half. And it's the perfect music for a, Light chase sequence. Love it. Love it. And I
1: gotta go... Well, actually, I want to go rewatch it in general now, but i have to watch out for that. And then, uh, like... Yeah, I guess, like, the composition like that is another one of the hallmarks. Like, um... i have taking, actually, almost exactly the opposite example. Kiki's delivery service. There's the scene at the end where uh, the kid, Tombo, has fallen. He's falling from something. And Kiki is on her broom trying to save him. And they have this moment where, like, she's going down, and, like, everyone's getting out of the way. And then all the sound stops as she sort of swoops in for the final attempt to catch him. And it's like, it's, you know, at the same time, you sort of want to gasp. Like it's, it's a perfect like use of no sound at all. Mm. So like that sort of composition is, is sort of the hallmark.
0: Yes, indeed. All right, well, let's end a little bit with um, Miyazaki, the man and, and some of that stuff. Uh, I think the last thing I really wanted to mention about his films is just, how beautiful, like, Shintoism is and how much he loves Shintoism, you know? We were watching Hal's uh, Moving Castle and the, the Witch of the Waste is the cause of all this nonsense, right? <laughs> and in the end, Sophie's like, no, I'm just, I'm going to save you. And, like, she keeps making sure that she's safe once they're back in the house and stuff. She's like, Marco, please help the witch move here. And Marco's like, yes, ma'am, and helps her and, like, walk because she's, like, that little decrepit thing now. And I'm like... You're you're the whole problem like in any other cartoon or whatever, like we'd kick you off the cliff. You would have died right. like you'd
1: you'd you'd fall into like your own cauldron or something, or like off of a hill. Yeah, like
0: Yeah, and you'd die. And Miyazaki's like, No, no, I'm I'm gonna save you too. I am and like even the antagonists, there there's something Shinto about them and oh my gosh. Like everybody worthy of being saved and nature is beautiful and all that stuff and It really got me thinking about Miyazaki himself and the type of man that he is, and he's uh, he's a riot. Like sometimes he really acts like a little kid. I actually watched that Kingdom of Dreams and Madness uh, documentary, and sometimes he just acts like a a kid. Like he putters around his own studio and he's just like (laughs) giggling to himself and
2: interacting uh, with the studio cat.
0: Yeah, he interacts with Ushiko. He interacts with Ushiko like he pokes her with a cigarette and he goes, "Look at you. So lazy. You have no schedule." <laughs> and she's like, "Wow." <laughs> it's so cute. You know, he acts like this this little kid and sometimes he is this like very solemn kind of old guy that is like uh, I remember he's on the roof of of Ghibli and it, it of course has a green roof. There's a whole freaking garden on this roof. And uh, the, the person behind the camera is is like, well, what do you expect to happen to Ghibli when you retire? And he's like, oh, it'll just, it'll fall apart. It'll completely fall apart. Isn't that the way things are supposed to be? Nothing is ever meant to last forever. So even in his own, I think, life, in the way he thinks about life, he has this very Shinto, like, nothing lasts forever. There's sort of a beauty in, in the impermanence of things. And I I found it fascinating that, You know, I really shouldn't be shocked that his own life philosophies translate very heavily into his films, but I was a little bit surprised that that is the type of man that he is. Hmm.
2: And he's also openly critical about being, you know, being in his position and being his age and just having seen so much. And he doesn't have any time for things that he does not appreciate. And he is pretty firmly. against a lot of what he sees as issues with the current, uh, anime industry and also the geopolitics of, you know, uh, Japan's going through a bit of a resurgence of nationalism these the last few years. And he's been openly critical about that. So it's just, it's not, he's, he can, he can definitely be, you know, kind of chi- uh, childish it seems. And also, you know, he's, you know, he's obviously an extremely hard worker. He does so much, uh, so much on his own and asks so much of the people that work for him um he can also be very grumpy and kind of set in his ways so he's you know he's as complicated as anyone more so just because of you know how much of an impact he has had
0: yeah i think i remember one of the the sequences from the documentary so he's sitting there in like these little uh this apron that has little like bears on it. It's super cute. And he's sitting there in this like back cubicle and he's like drawing the sequence from Wind Rises where he's debating if he wants to kill the main character. And I was like he's like, Oh, yeah, I think I think this is how she's gonna call to him. Yeah. Like this is it gonna be it where he, he passes. And it's like there's this like little man who made Totoro, like the most adorable film ever. In a little bear apron, contemplating the death of his main character. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh man, you know this is this is the complexity of of this guy, and he is he is an amazing person. I think having watched the way he makes films and thinks about filmmaking in general, uh, it's it's not too much of a surprise. He really thinks that the studio can't do it without him.
2: Hmm.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, you look at the you look at the credits for, you know, a lot of the really big films we've been talking about. And like, he's the director and also the writer for a lot of them, like not all of them, but certainly most of the really big ones we've mentioned. He's got at least one of those credits, if not both. And it's like, well, if the director and the writer leave. Uh...
2: <laughs> Who's going to take up the either one of those mantles?
1: Right, like those, are, those aren't, those are I mean, obviously you need animators and all these other folks, but someone has to lead the ship here and he's both of those. So it's going to be a rough time uh, for, for Ghibli uh, when he leaves. I mean, you know, assuming he must eventually, I know he keeps retiring and then coming back, but sometimes, some of these times I'm sure it's going to stick.
0: Well, does anyone have anything else they want to end with before we kind of sign off on this one? And the fact that we definitely love Ghibli films. I think there's... There's so much to love. I mean, if you haven't, checked them out. I don't know what you're doing with your life, but go check <laughs> them out. Heavens.
1: Yeah, for one thing, I sure hope you didn't listen to this cast. Like, go. Oh. No, we
2: <laughs> well, avoided we too many of things. the major spoilers. <laughs> but uh, I would say, yeah, definitely check out the movies if you haven't already, especially if you've checked out some, but not as other ones. It doesn't matter which ones you enjoy the most. They're all worth your time and Hmm, that's a good point yeah if you haven't seen them in a while revisit them you'll have a greater appreciation for them with you know the benefits of hindsight and being able to take them in now that you know the story you'll be able to take in all of those details and all those little character moments that the first time you may simply not have appreciated as much
1: yeah it's one of the rare like these are these are some of the rare movies in which the more anime you've watched the more you appreciate the films i think because they're just they're very different from most of the rest of the medium
0: yeah you can feel that they're from a different era almost mm-hmm. a different time and space in the way we think about anime in general but yeah they're incredible films miyazaki's an incredible man and uh you know you you really should just check out these films. Heck, even if you're not into anime, you should be checking out these films. They're incredible.
1: Yeah, so not a lot of films get a you know theatrical release in the U.S., but these these are some of them. So there's good reason for that.
2: Well, before we start making another uh, podcast about each and every one of those individual films, because every single one of them could be a uh, an entire thing on its own, (laughs) and very well might be in the future, (laughs) Uh, I think it is time for us to sign off for now, and uh, I guess a belated happy birthday to Mr. Miyazaki, and we hope that uh, we get to see at least one more film out of him before he finally uh, puts down the pen. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, seriously, man.
0: Happy birthday. Uh just the last thing before we sign off, for those of you yelling at uh midair or your screen or wherever you listen to us that we didn't mention Mr. Hisashi at all, we are fully aware. We uh we just know that Joe merits like an entire podcast in and of himself. So Look, look forward to that. Skipped sometime over in the future. Music just for this time. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Bye. This is a podcast by The Con Artists. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to us on iTunes or your Android podcast app of choice. For more anime and game-related content, please visit us online at theconartistsblog.com. Thanks for listening.